0: Stephen A. Smith was born in Queens, New York and began his career as an NBA columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. After years of working in newspapers, radio, and television, he's now become an essential voice and face on ESPN. From First Take to SportsCenter to NBA Countdown and his new show, Stephen A's World on ESPN+. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Stephen A. Smith recalls his extensive career covering sports his experience attending Winston-Salem State University, and his support for HBCUs.
2: Hey, man. Hey, what's going on, bro? How are you? Good. How have you been? I'm doing all right, man. How's everything with you?
3: You know, it's good. Uh, Just got my second vaccine, so uh, so feeling safe. What about you?
2: Oh, I've got, I had my second vaccine, um... About a month ago. Oh, oh. Actually. Okay. Yeah. And had,
3: now have you, you look like you've lost a little bit of weight. Uh, do my eyes deceive me? I have.
2: I have. lost about 19 pounds. And then I gained about four pounds of muscle. I've been lifting a little bit now. So I'm just trying to slim up and, you know, harden myself and all of that stuff. Ain't nothing nastier than skinny fat. <laughs> well, you know what's impressive is, is
3: that you did it during this time. Because everybody else I know gained weight. Yeah. So if you're one of the few people that defied uh, defied gravity, that's not bad.
2: So I tried to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Now, did you travel at all during uh during the COVID window?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I had to go back and forth between New York and L.A., but that was only like really in the last six months. The first six months or so, you know, I mean, from last year, from like what um, I'm saying, last year, yeah, it was like from January um, of last year to about June, July, I didn't go anywhere, didn't go anywhere. And then come July, August, I've been back and forth between New York and L.A. once every six weeks or so. And what's good
3: for you? Are you a traveler or was it actually good for you to be at home for a little bit?
2: No, nah, I mean, it's a combination of both. I've been on the road for like 200 plus days out of the year uh, for many, many years, uh, you know, to covering sports and all of that stuff. So, you know, for me, I don't mind the travel per se, but. You know, when you get an opportunity to sit at home and chill, you're fine until you know you're trapped there. And then once you know you're trapped, now it's a, it, t- it takes on a whole different life of its own because you just want to break out. You want to break out from that figurative straight jacket, per se. So that's what it is. But, I'm, you know, I'm good with it. I like being bi-coastal. How much are you, how much are you still enjoying the
3: job? Because... It's funny, as I'm sitting here with you now and appreciating just how much you are asked to do every day, because you've got radio, you've got TV. Knowing you, you probably still write, uh, whether you're writing quietly or loudly, you're still probably writing. How much do you still enjoy it? Do you, do you still get, get joy?
2: You know, I, I enjoy I enjoy the work of uh, the politics or the minutiae per se that goes along with it. That's gotten old. Um, I gave up my radio show to do my television show, Stephen A's World on ESPN Plus, because digital seems to be the way to go. Um, and I saw that handwriting on the wall. So doing I'm hosting three shows, essentially the coast and I'm, you know, I'm on first take. I host my own NBA show, which is SportsCenter with Stephen A., and I host my own show, Stephen A.'s World on ESPN+. Plus, Plus, I'm the NBA analyst uh, for ESPN for SportsCenter and um, started my own production company. I'm in the process of writing my own book. Uh, so, you know, again, the, the, the flip, the work doesn't phase me. What phases me is all the people each job involves because I mean, your phone is constantly blowing up or there's text messages or everybody needs something and that's what gets old. That gets old real quick. So so what do you have? Do you have a chief of staff? Do you have
3: a president? Do you have a right hand? How do you moderate that?
2: With, with my production company, I've got a number 2 uh that handles a lot of things for me, but um on the shows whether you have uh, another executive producer or you're co-hosting with somebody or whatever, you know, when you're the star of the show, you hold the weight. You know that. And, you know, the weight ultimately falls on you because I don't give a damn who you're surrounded by. What however excellent they are at doing what they do as producers and people behind the scenes, you're the one that's in front of that camera. And so as a result, the weight ultimately comes, it it transfers to you and you got to hold it down and to make sure that you're as close to perfect as you could possibly be. um, You want to know everything that you need to know so you're not caught off guard. And that ultimately forces you to communicate with people you don't particularly want to communicate with. And it's nothing against them. It's just that it's always something. And you just want to just be able to lay down and have some peace and quiet and be left alone. And, and that's very, very difficult to achieve.
3: You know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is the path to success. And I feel like you are one of those. And I don't say it just to compliment you, but I say it to set up a question for the young people who are going to be watching this. I feel like you're not a carbon copy in any way, that you've very much been an American original, both in terms of who you are, but even in terms of your story, because I remember I started tuning in and rooting for you and looking forward to you, meaning I would go out of my way to find you uh, on the network. It felt like 15, 16 years ago when you started doing your show, quite frankly, and about a year before that- 2005. You know what I mean? I was looking for you. You were a destination person. And so I remember that. I remember you got hot. Then you went like Steve Jobs, you went into the Valley for a little bit. And then I feel like Steve Jobs, you've come back even stronger than you were before. How do you see what happened in that arc of your career? And what do you take away from it?
2: (sighs) Well, in 2005, The guy that gave me the show was running the network. His name was Mark Shapiro. Um, I started my show in 2005. It was called, Quite Frankly, I started the show in August of 2005. He left September of 2005 to go run Six Flags for Daniel Snyder, who owns the Washington football team. And so my resident champion, per se, who, you know, was the brain, you know, was the brainchild for this show, was gone. And so you got a new regime coming in and, you know, they, they want their own people. They want to be they want to put themselves in a position with kind of things that they created, the things that they they'd get credit for, et cetera. And as a result, they make decisions. And so for me to lose that show wasn't unexpected because I knew it wasn't their idea. What happened is the friction that developed. Because that show was gone, with other things that they wanted me to do for considerably less dollars than I thought I deserved, and so that ended up, you know, leading to my exit uh, from ESPN for a couple of years before they came calling back and asking me to come back. And when they came back, you know, during that time I was gone. I realized a lot of the mistakes that I made because I assumed a lot of things that I knew about this business, assumed that I had this level of cachet, assumed that my name, my my brand, et cetera, et cetera, was, you know, harbor, you know harness this kind of cachet that would enable me to make, you know, requests that or demands even that I wasn't equipped to make. And so, you know, you you educate yourself about the business. And that's what I did when I was gone. Instead of talking about my worth, I studied my worth. I found out what it truly, truly was. Um, I knew what it was, what it was not. I knew why it was that way, et cetera. And I went about the business of mastering me as it pertained to this business. And so when future negotiations came about, I didn't go into negotiations with a pie-in-the-sky mentality or anything like that. I knew exactly. You know what I was going to ask for because I had an idea of what my worth was, particularly compared to others, and that that put me in a position to make things happen for myself. That obviously has put me um, as the as catapulted me to be in the face of the worldwide leader and a black face at that, which is not something that you ever anticipated. And so uh, I I credit what what I struggled with, what I suffered from, uh, the experiences that ultimately I reaped from that. Um, and my willingness to learn from my mistakes and to make sure I didn't duplicate them.
3: Who, who have been your rabbis, your mentors, who, while you were both going through this, but also during these beautiful last seven, eight years, in which I think you've had as beautiful a run as, I, as I've seen, at least from the outside, it looks like a very beautiful run. I assume that, that you've needed some rabbis, some mentors, some consularies.
2: Just family and loved ones. Just family, friends, loved ones, some people in the business. Sure. My present boss, which is which is Norby, which is uh, Dave Roberts. His boss is Norby Williamson. Believe it or not, Norby Williamson was the man that let me go. And now we're as thick as thieves. You know, we talk all the time. We've got an incredible relationship uh, because, again, I had to grow up and I realized that some of the things that Uh, He and and others who were in superior positions than even he is, because he's an executive VP, um, you know, the the kind of things that they pointed out, the kind of things he enlightened me about, um, I learned from them. And more importantly, I know I've never had a selfish attitude. I've always been about a win-win myself and the company. The problem was I didn't do that great of a job conveying those thoughts if you heard it come out of my mouth, it sounded like it was just for me and it was never just for me. And so you learn how to communicate a bit better. And for me, one of the things I made sure to do is that, you know, and I tell people about this in my speeches, I wake up every morning with two thoughts. Number one, how do I make my bosses more money? And number two, how do I get some of it? And when I put it like that, There isn't anybody that's that's not going to be receptive to what I want to say, because they recognize that my number one mission is to make sure they're successful. I'm not just looking for my success at the expense of the company. I'm looking for a success that piggybacks off of the success of the company that I represent. And when you have that kind of mentality, it opens the floodgates because it makes an inordinate amount of people receptive to what you're bringing to the table, because they know that you're trying to create something that they stand to benefit from as well, not just yourself. And so that's why he and I have the great relationship that we have now, because every time we have conversations, I don't hear yes all the time. I hear yes a lot, but certainly not all the time. And the reason why I don't hear yes all the time is because sometimes it can't be done, sometimes it doesn't make sense, sometimes it does. But being that he's in the position that he's in and Dave Roberts, the senior vice president is in the position that he's in, the, great, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my career is those two from the standpoint that they teach me what I don't know. So if I come to them with something and I say, I want this and I want that, they say no, but they show me the courtesy and respect to educate me as to why. And so it gives me insight into their thinking their bosses so it gives you a reflection of what bosses think like and why they come to the conclusions that they come to and then as a result when you make future presentations all of a sudden you're armed with potent information that would help propel you to the heights that you're looking to achieve because you're now educated and you come with educated pitches you come with educated ideas things that are sensible and winnable for all parties concerned and when you do that You'd be surprised what kind of position you can ultimately elevate yourself to. So even though there's family and friends and loved ones and mentors and advisors, people like that that have helped me throughout my career right now, where I'm at in my life and in my career right now, I would give those two um, an incredible, incredible amount of credit because they don't just say yay or nay. They always explain why or at least as much as they can. And it's made me better at what I do. And more importantly, educated enough to do the things that I want to do in the future, like produce behind the camera.
1: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
4: At retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at gamebridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.
3: So take me back a little bit now. So rewind it all the way uh, uh, where'd you grow up and what were you like if I'd met you eight, nine years old? Would I have been calling you Stephen? Would I have been calling you Stephen A? Who were you as a uh, as a
2: young fella? Well, Stephen, I, I, I was a dude, grew up poor in the streets of Hollis, Queens, New York City. Uh, through the grace of God, I had the greatest mother on the planet, God rest her. So she passed away in 2017 after a long bout with cancer. I was the youngest of six. I had a brother that passed away in a car accident in Waco, Texas. I'm sorry, El Paso, Texas in 1992. Um, um, I, have, I have four older sisters um, who I love dearly. Um, and they've all been very, very instrumental. And I'm, I'm I'm basically a family man. I've got 15 nieces and nephews, you know. And so even though I'm a dad now, the bottom line is that I've always had that kind of chemistry and camaraderie and that family kind of atmosphere. I've never been a guy that wanted to run to the club, the nightclubs and party and all of that other stuff. I'd go sometimes because other people went, but that wasn't my style. The best kind of parties I love is the backyard, barbecues, you know, in familiar confines, surrounded by people who are part of your inner circle that you love and know, and they know you and you're free to be yourself, et cetera, et cetera. So that's always been me. Um, And I've been incredibly ambitious because I got left back in the fourth grade because I had a first grade reading level. Um, I could read. But if you asked me to comprehend what I was reading, I couldn't do it. And then my older sister, Linda, along with my mom and a family friend named Tiverton, uh, Patrick McDowell, they all taught me how to read. And so ultimately, you know, that me and my love for that and my love for basketball uh, took me to Winston-Salem State, ultimately. Uh, I was at Fashion Institute of Technology as a junior college in New York before then. I went to Winston-Salem State, um, you know, and, and, and I just, you know, my mentality was to always work tirelessly. I never considered myself the smartest person in the room. I knew that I knew how to speak, that I could articulate my thoughts, uh, that I could speak in a way uh, that was profound enough that it would have an impact, that you couldn't just dismiss my delivery, my presentation. Uh, I knew that about myself. But in the same breath, I never considered myself brilliant. I just knew that I was somebody that would outwork everybody. Um, and that's the kind of mentality that I've held on to pretty much my entire life. I will put in the work, I'm not afraid of work. Um, I always, I'm about the business of making sure you understand that the last thing you ever have to concern yourself with about me is what I'm gonna put in the work. And that's why I love doing what I do because a lot of times you're self starting You're not working in an office where the boss is watching over you all the time. They leave you alone to go and do what you're supposed to do and they measure the results and the details that come associated with it. And if you're not putting in the work, they'll be able to discover it, true. But you still can find shortcuts if you're prone to do so. I don't take shortcuts. Because if I take shortcuts, then truly, truly, I'm not earning my keep. And if I'm not earning my keep, they may not know it, but I would. And because I would, I wouldn't feel as good about myself. And I like to feel good about myself. So I put in that work. Tell me about your mom. Uh, what was her name? Janet Smith. And, uh, and who, who, who was she? Oh, man. My mom was, um, my mother and father were married 60 years. Um, they should have been divorced 50. Um, my father did not treat my mother very well. Um, um, he was never physically violent or anything like that. Uh, that was a code that he had never, ever put your hands on a whim- on a woman. And I'll give him credit for that much. Um, but my mother was the matriarch, the patriarch and everything in between. And I'll just leave it at that as it pertains to him. Um, but she's the greatest human being I've ever known. Um, she was the number one, ultimate source of my inspiration. Um she is the person that believed in me. She's the person that never wavered. She's the person that pushed me, that motivated me. Um that was depend that was hell bent on making sure uh that I become the man that she knew I would be. And it didn't have anything to do with a career, job or making money. She's West she was West Indian, born in St. Thomas Virgin Islands. And-, and it wasn't about that with her. It was about making sure that you're a model citizen, that you conduct yourself in a proper, law-abiding fashion. Um, You understood what rules and regulations were and you were going to operate accordingly. And so for me, you know, when I think about the challenges that I had, some of the temptations of the street life growing up around drug dealers and things of that nature, some of the things that I easily could have fallen prey to. um, She wasn't the only reason that I was able to avoid those things, but she was the main reason. And um, everything that I did in the past and everything I'm doing now and everything that I did while she was alive, although I had my own agenda and my own individual goals, my number one goal was always, always, always to never disappoint her. That's what it was. I I can imagine uh,
3: what pride she must have had. Uh, seeing you uh, grow up and get a chance to become your full self, and even seeing you go through that kind of journey of discovery that you talked about, um, post, quite frankly, uh, you said she did live long enough to get to see you on the other side of that, too.
2: And she passed away in 2017. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she got to see that as well. Um, but she was funny because she didn't know anything about sports. She literally would be like, uh, EPS and whatever network, I don't know where he works. You know? and she said, had no clue. <laughs> she had no clue about sports whatsoever. She yeah. just knew that her son was on TV, that everybody knew me, and that I was considered a success. And she knew that I was obeying the law and building a life for myself and my family. And, and she was proud of that.
3: Now now was she a talker like you? Was she, was she was
2: she a good talker? No, not really. She 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 wasn't exactly quiet inside the house, very quiet outside the house, but not quiet inside the house. Um but she was a drill sergeant. She 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 ran the home. And you knew it was going to be hell to pay if you didn't do what she told you to do. And so we all knew that we had to answer to her and no matter how old we got, we were grown, we were out on our own. She's the matriarch. She's the boss. And so, you know, I mean, I'm on television and, you know, I'm making a little money and I've got a little fame and notoriety and stuff like that. And I drive back to Hollins, Queens. And I still had to take out the garbage, even though I didn't live there. I'd take out the garbage. If she wanted me to go to the supermarket, I had to go in the supermarket. She didn't want to hear no junk about you on TV. People know you. They might harass you for autographs, pictures. That's your problem. This is what you need to do. Go do it. Because I said so, period. And that's the way it was up until the day she died. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: I, I love that. And you were her baby boy. So there probably was something in right. there. Uh, Well, uh,
2: my sisters swear up and down I was spoiled, and and they're probably (laughs) right because my mom would, you know, they, you know, my mother was like, "I'm retired. I'm not doing anything." People would come by. She's not cooking unless she wants. She's not doing anything. But if I walked in the house automatically, if I walked around, if I walked there during breakfast time, I was going to get breakfast. If I walked around lunchtime, I was going to have lunch. If I walked around at dinner time, I was going to have dinner. If I was sick, I was, I was really, really pathetic because when I get sick, if I felt too sick, I would actually go home to mama's and lay in my bed that I grew up in as a kid, just because I knew that my mother would spoil me back to health. So I was like, that's all true. That's all true.
3: Yeah, that, but you know that's a good thing. That's a good thing to have in this life. That's, that's, right. that's a very good thing to have in this that's life. That's right.
2: I ain't turning it down. Not yeah. at all. Yeah,
3: yeah. You you had to. Hey, what made you choose Winsome Salem State? How did you how did you choose that? Because that was not in your backyard in New York, so you had to travel uh, for that. And as you said, you started junior high. What what made you choose to head down that way?
2: I was. Uh, I went to Thomas Edison Vocational and Technical High School in Queens, New York studying electrical installation. My mother made me go to a vocational and technical high school because I kept swearing high, I didn't want to go to college when I was in junior high school. And she said, you are not going to be some dummy or unemployed or anything like that. You're going to at least learn a trade, and this is what you're going to do. And so I went there, but you know, my senior year, I made the basketball team. And so when I made the basketball team, people were looking at me because even though I was tiny, like 130 pounds, soaking wet, and 5'9", I could really shoot. And so as a result of that, um, FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology, came calling. And then while I was at Fashion Institute of Technology, which was a junior college, and we were ranked 15th in the nation with a 35 and four record, um, a friend of the family's name, Harold Funny Kitt, uh, told he used to play at Winston-Salem State for Clarence Big House Games. And he said that he was gonna take me down there for a tryout. And so I went down to Winston-Salem State uh, and tried out because uh, he drove me all the way down there. And Coach Gaines, uh, I kept passing the ball, passing the ball. And Coach Gaines blew the whistle. And he said, are you a shooter? And I said, yeah. That's, he said, that's what Harold Funny Kid said. I said, yeah, I am. He said, then shoot the ball, damn it. <laughs> you know? And I proceeded to hit 17 straight three-pointers. And he signed me to a scholarship on the spot. That's the last time I hit 17 three-pointers in the (laughs) Robin I was going
3: to say, I I mean,
2: Steph Curry doesn't hit 17, so okay. That that day, I was Steph Curry. That one day, (laughs) I was Steph Curry. Never again, but I was that day. And um, he signed me to a scholarship on the spot, and that's what happened. And, you know, uh, even though I cracked my kneecap in half my first year, and I was never the same, it was still the best four years of my life because that experience just did wonders for me. It introduced me to... HBCUs, the history of HBCUs, what HBCUs are all about, what Coach Gaines was all about, um, and what he expected me to be all about. Um, And he made it very, very clear to me. He said, damn it, you ain't that great. He said, I ain't bring you here for your, you know, just for your basketball. Damn it, I expect you to go out there and be somebody. And he was dead serious about that. And so I always remember that. And um, I always try to honor him in any way that I possibly can when it comes to HBCUs, because if it was not for him, Uh, If it weren't for him, rather, I would not have been at an HBCU.
3: Say more about that, because you and I know that there's a moment here for a whole variety of reasons that that the spotlight, thankfully, is on HBCUs again. But for a lot of the country, they still don't know it intimately. They hear the names, but they don't really know it. What was special about that experience at a historically black college?
2: It felt home. It felt home. Um, You usually go to predominantly white institutions if you're a black person. You're one of the, you're the, you're the minority, and it's bad enough you're the minority in American society overall, just from a numbers perspective. But you want to see really you really feeling like a minority go to a predominantly white institution, because it ain't gonna be too many black folks that you have there with you. So to see people who look like you, who share your culture, your cultural identity, uh, your backgrounds, having similar stories, similar trials and tribulations, understanding that most, if not all, of them are in pursuit of excellence you don't really have an excuse uh, to lay down and just get rolled over and minimized and pigeonhole and just accept that because these folks are side by side with you who look like you and share the same challenges, scratching and clawing and fighting their way to ascend. And so not only are they doing it, but there's professors there who look like you, who share your cultural identity, They're pushing you. There are administrators who are doing the same thing uh, and people who are the bosses of those administrators. The list goes on and on and on. And so when you go to an experience, you go to a, a historically black college or university, that's the feel that you get. That's the vibe that you get. And when they talk about brotherhoods and sisterhoods and things of that nature, This is where things like that emanate from and grow and grow to a very, very special level. And those are the kind of things that I could speak to about Winston-Salem State. It didn't have a journalism program. It had a mass communications program, but it did have a school radio station. It did have a school newspaper. I was able to learn a thing or two about journalism. I was able to acquire some level of experience, and that experience, enabled me to get internships, which ultimately enabled me to get jobs, which ultimately enabled me to build a career. And so because of that, um, I just, again, I can't say enough about it. That's why it's a focus of mine as we speak. I've been a brand ambassador for HBCU week over the last two years. Um, I've raised over $11.5 million and over two over 2,000 people who receive scholarships to an HBCU. Um, I've got ESPN and Walt Disney involved. They've, I've been very blessed and fortunate that they're willing to help me with that mission. We're going to be doing things on an annual basis to assist and uh, support HBCUs to the best of our ability. So I'll be raising more money, raising more awareness. And plus, my production company, Mr. SAS Productions, is in the process of putting together a docu-series on the history of HBCUs as well. And all of that breeds from, you know, what I feel I owe to Clarence Big House Gaines to the late John McClendon and so many others who paved the way for people like myself.
1: This is it, your moment.
4: Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.
3: I'm going to hit you with a little bit of a rapid fire where you guys used to call the uh, cold hard uh, six-pack on the vest. You've been blessed with so many good running mates, teammates, but who's been your best teammate, who's been your best partner on the air that you've ever
2: had? Skip Bayless. I I I can't, I can't deny that. Um, I will always owe a debt of gratitude to Skip Bayless because Skip Bayless is the person uh, that asked me to do first take. And I wasn't interested in doing it. I just wanted to cover the NBA. And Skip Bayless said, I need you. I can't do this without you. Will you do this for me? Just give me three years. And now it's been nine. And even though he's been going the last four and a half to five years, uh, we were number one all four years that I was there with him. I've been number one ever since um, in the mornings and um, I owe him a debt of gratitude to that. And he's the master of the debate shows and stuff like that. And you know, his level of faith in me, um, his needing my support and being so open about it, pushed me into that position. And it turned out to be the greatest thing that has ever happened for my career. So I will always say Skip Bayless.
3: Um, uh, if you could have dinner with anyone in this life, dead or alive right now, who would you have dinner with? Wow. Um,
2: well, dead, it would be Malcolm X. Um, that, would, that, would, that would be it. Alive, it would be Barack Obama. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. You know, I, you know, I, I, I marvel at the greatness of both um, the intellect of both the passion of both. Um, and in Obama's case is just current and relevant. You know, I remember when he first got the, he first got the presidency. And one of my biggest regrets is that I was critical of him when he threw money in the direction of the auto, or the auto industry in Detroit, because the focus was on healthcare, 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 universal healthcare. And my concern was that you know, I've always had this saying. I said, "When when 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 white folks catch a cold, black folks catch pneumonia." You know, it's always just based as society the way we're built. It's always going to be worse for us. So, what he was focused on, I thought, would be to our detriment. Um, and I was critical of that, just that, not of him, but just that decision. Um, but upon reflection, obviously, he's smart he's a lot smarter than me. He knew more than I knew. Um, but more importantly. I, I, I hold him in such high regard and I have such reverence for him because of the man that he is and what he was working against and how he represented himself and his family um, is, is just so much about him to admire. It doesn't mean I agree with every decision he made, even upon reflection, but I have such reverence and deference for him uh, to sit down and to be in his presence and, and just to be able to chit chat with him about anything would be an incredibly extreme honor.
3: Love that. Uh, What's your karaoke song?
2: Red, red wine.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I didn't expect it. That's good. I love a surprise. I love a surprise.
2: I did that because I did karaoke for that song when I went to Hawaii for vacation many, many years ago. That's why I brought that up.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, Most beautiful place you've ever been to in this world?
2: Sandro Drupal. South France.
3: Hmm.
2: Magic Johnson's 60th birthday party, two years ago. The most sensational vacation I've ever been on in my life. I would love Magic Johnson forever (laughs) because of those days that I was in San Tropez. I mean, it was sensational, my man. It It was the greatest vacation I've ever had in my life. Black Hollywood was in the house. I mean, everybody was there. Angela Bassett, Cedric the Entertainer, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Denzel didn't make it there, but his wife was there. Boris Kojo and Nicole Ari Parker, the Bellamy's, Bill Bellamy and his wonderful wife. I mean, the list just went on and on. Jennifer Lopez, Alex Rodriguez. I mean, everybody was there. Everybody was there. And it, it, I have never, ever in my life had a greater time on vacation. I will. I will love Magic Johnson for eternity, for that experience. Mike Wilbon was there, Isaiah Thomas was there, uh, you, know, uh, you know, just the list went on, goes on and on, but it was a sensational experience. I was sick that I had to leave, I had to leave early. I was sick, I had to leave, had to leave like four days after like third or fourth day. Well, will you, will, will you, realize,
3: you realize what the so what is. What? We gotta do that for your birthday. You, you're going to throw the birthday in Santa tropez That's how that's going to happen. I'm
2: not Magic Johnson, bro. You don't understand. <laughs> understand. It ain't too many people in this world right. throw a birthday right. celebration right. the way right. Magic Johnson right. can. It, 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 it. Magic something else, man. Magic something else. Magic got to bow. You got to just bow down to that man. That magic. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, I, I can't put it in. I just can't do it. It's something special to behold, brother. I'm telling you. All right. Settle it for me. Greatest three athletes
3: of all time. I'm giving you three on purpose. Greatest three athletes of all time.
2: Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan. Mm. Mm. Third is hard. A Third is hard. Who are the contestants? Who are the contestants? A lot of times you're just thinking about performance instead of athletic ability. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, you know, I think about Tiger Woods and how he's transformed the world of golf. I think about Steph Curry, the greatest shooter God ever created. There has never been a shooter like just Steph Curry ever. Okay. Michael Jordan uh, is who he is. LeBron James, phenomenal. Um, uh, Muhammad Ali, what he endured um, in the face of adversity, what he accomplished, he, he and Jordan are definitely my guys. And then I think about Bill Russell, who went through more than what Bill Russell went through um, to achieve. We talk about Jackie Robinson. Yeah, um, that's true. But Jackie Robinson didn't win 11 championships in 13 years. Jackie Robinson didn't integrate the world of coaching on the basketball level the way that Bill Russell did. He wasn't the first, but he clearly was one of the few to have ever done it, be a player coach. Um, If I had to pick, I would would tell you, I, I mean, just off the top of my head, it would be Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Bill Russell. Uh, But I I reserve the right to change my mind upon further reflection. I need some more time to think about that.
3: I love all three of those. Serena Williams is another one. Oh. Serena Williams run up. You, you didn't say Jim Brown. You didn't say Tom Brady, but I'm going to have you back to talk about that. Uh, listen, they're making me let you go, and I know you've got an important call. I just want to thank you again for what you've done and what you're doing. I appreciate what I felt like Robin Roberts and Stuart Scott did. I feel like you took the baton and you lit it up brightly. You opened up the door for a lot of people, so I thank you for that. Uh, and for what you've
2: done. Thank you so much. And I appreciate that. But I will always, always, always pale in comparison to Stuart Scott, the late, great John Saunders, Robin Roberts, Michael Wilbon. I will never, ever, ever, the great late Ralph Wiley. I know you know who that is. Of course. I will never, ever, ever come before those people. They are the ones who helped make me what I am in this business.
3: Um, hey, listen, we need you and uh, we appreciate you. And uh, and uh, and thank you for being a part of this. I hope I get to see you uh, when the world cleans up a little
2: bit. Same here, my brother. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. All right, be safe.
0: you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends to find us on the iHeart Podcast app or Apple Podcasts.